We value unity. We're going to finish up today and next week with this series. Here's Here's how we value it. We value it in this way. We rally behind one Lord, one Savior, and one faith. That's how we value unity. In the church, we believe that that is how the Bible teaches that we should value unity. I believe, and I believe the scriptures teach this. I know the scriptures teach this. Uh, I'm assured of it. That that type of unity, the unity that is seated in the person of Christ and, and, in, uh, and in faith in a holy God who made us and who is, is overall and, and, and has full power and dominion over all this, that, that the unity that really is true and right and real and that will make a change, as we already prayed, is this type of unity. Let me tell you why I say that. There is a difference between unity and uniformity. Okay, let me tell you what I mean there. Uniformity is something that we agree to do together, and oftentimes we agree to do it because we are pressured from the outside. Let me give you an example. If you go to work for a company, they have a slogan, they have a product, they have something that they do, they have a service. It could be anything. You're going to work for that company mostly because you need a check. And that's okay. We gotta feed our families. But, but sometimes we go to work for companies because we believe in the product. And we believe in the service and we believe in what we're doing and we're actually, sometimes we're actually gifted to do what we're doing. But intrinsically though, we're not necessarily unified around that product or that service or that thing that we're doing necessarily because we have internal unity or we're compelled from the inside to do it. We are compelled by our boss to have uniformity to do it, right? Because if we're not uniformed and we don't believe in the product and we do things to mess that up or we subvert the vision and mission and goal of that particular company, we probably won't get that check anymore. So whether we know it or not, whether it's conscious or subconscious, whether we're aware of it or not, uh, we're more believing in that because we're in uniformity. We're compelled by something outside of us. Same is true for a team. If you're not on board, you don't get in line, and you're not in uniform, you don't play. You don't play on the team, you don't get to be awesome. So the same is true then as it trickles into every part of our lives, whether it's a relationship or a marriage or family. If we're uniformed instead of unified, then we are being compelled by something outside of us, something that can change something that can go away, something that can influence us in a different way and therefore will then affect our behavior and the way we approach and the way we talk and the way we interact with each other. So we have uniformity. We're on the same page. But we might not necessarily be unified or have unity. Here's what unity is. Unity is an internal thing. It is an internal compelling or something that is motivating or inspiring me from the inside. It is real. It is deep. It is in my heart. It is known and understood without others knowing and understanding. It is something that is compelling me beyond understanding and also beyond explanation. It is something that, that embodies my life. It is something that I, that I don't just do. It's who I am. 
And I don't need external pressure. And I don't need an external motivation. And I don't need somebody giving me some words of wisdom. And I don't need somebody disagreeing me. And it won't change my mind if you disagree. And it won't change my mind if something happens. Or it won't change my mind if you threaten me. And it won't change my heart. It won't change my life if you try to compel me in some other way. It is coming from the inside. It is organic. It is real. It is powerful. And it drives me forward. And so we're not just on the same page. We are unified because we are compelled from a deep, spiritual, eternal place. And nothing changes that that may change around us. No act, no person, no viewpoints on Facebook, no tweets, no thing that I I may be pressured to do by someone I, I may actually care about. And I may actually believe in what they say doesn't change that if I have achieved and understand unity because there is a difference between unity and uniformity. I think what ends up happening is, is we, we desire when we say we want unity in our home, in our family, in, in the church is, is we, we say we want unity, but really we're saying that we want uniformity. We just all want to be on the same page. And we all want, in some ways, for people to see it like us. When in reality, God calls us to. God compels us to. God teaches us and instructs us and encourages us to live in unity. Together as a people compelled by something inside that drives us toward this common good and this common goal and to the glory of God no matter what happens around us. And so when we say we want unity in the church and unity in the world from the believer's worldview and perspective and unity in my home and my family and my marriage, then we really should change maybe our paradigm of what unity means. It's that we desire to be unified because we are compelled by something beyond us that comes from inside and not are being forced or persuaded by something external that can change. That's how we're able to remain unified when crazy stuff happens around us and sands shift and things move and bad stuff happens and we disagree. So there's a difference between uniformity and unity. And this is what the scriptures say about that in Ephesians 4. In verse 1, this is Paul writing. He spent the first three chapters setting up the doctrinal beliefs uh, of the resurrection and of the gospel and of what we should be believing uh, as it pertains to Jesus and us and our salvation and our eternity and our future and our hope. First three chapters. So he says nothing about how necessarily we should act and interact. He lays the full groundwork of theology and of understanding, and of knowledge about how Christ uh, would want us to live from his perspective. And then, in chapter 4, he gets into how we should live this out. And he says this, Therefore I, a prisoner, so he's, he has been put in prison. He is literally and, and figuratively chained for serving the Lord. He says, I, I beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. And the calling was that I just described. The calling to unity, the calling to live for Jesus, the calling to see it the way in which God wants us to see it. That's the calling that God's placed in our life. Not the world's calling, not your spouse's calling, not your friend's calling, not where you live's calling, not your city's influence or culture's calling. God's calling on your life, on my life. That's how we should live. 
Because he says, for you have been called to live this life by God. And he wins out. His voice should be the loudest. His voice should be the most important. His voice should be the one we listen to the most. He should be the one we follow. He should be the one we seek to emulate in Christ. Because he's called us. So he says, I beg you, lead a life worthy of Christ. Because he's the one who's given this life to you. And he's the one who's called you to live it in the way that he desires for you and I to live. And in verse 2, he starts talking about how we express this. Always be humble and, and, and gentle. Be patient with each other. Making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit. United, same word. Not make every effort to keep yourselves uniformed. United in the spirit. Binding yourselves together with peace. Verse 4, for there is one body and one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all, in all, and living through all. In verse 6, he is addressing the believer. So don't believe that that is a verse that will uh, prop up universalism. It gets a little confusing. He's talking about being unified in the spirit. The spirit indwells the believer. And so this God, he's saying, is over us. He's in us as believers. And he's living through us. Should be. And so in this, he makes an interesting statement in verse 3. So he's laid all this groundwork about who God is, who Christ is, who the Holy Spirit is how we've been given this incredible calling and this gift to live for God. And we've been given this thing, he even uses the word wealth. We have been made rich in Christ. He, he has given us these resources and these things in our lives and, uh, to live this way now. And in verse 3 he says, make every effort to keep yourselves united. Every effort. If you look that word up, the word effort there actually means to endeavor. It means to actually Get on a course. It means to actually set out to intentionally do something. It also means that in doing it, you should be diligent. I should be diligent. And I should be not even diligent, but like overly diligent. That we should work hard to do it. So we should be about it. So the effort should be there. It should be the all-encompassing thing of our life. And we should do it very hard. It also means that it should be swift. This word takes on a connotation that the effort that we're to give to be united should be done with haste, should be done quickly. We should desire to make uh, ourselves unified and to have unity fast. We should desire when there isn't unity and when we have had a breakdown or something has happened, we should move swiftly to gain and to be unified. I don't know if you're like me. I, I kind of... You know, you know the old saying and cliches. You know, a, a broken clock is twice is right twice a day. Um, for me, I think I come by this principle just by accident because for some reason in my personality in my life, I don't like for things to sit and not be resolved. I don't like for uh, there to be a disagreement between me and my wife in my home between a friend, certainly not between another believer or anybody in the world for very long. 
I want to move swift and accurate. And sometimes that's, that's not the right thing to do. And I've been guilty of not moving swift enough. And I, I've also been guilty of, of not knowing. But usually, I just don't want anybody, and some of that is, is pride. I, I don't want anybody to be upset with me. So it's not always rightly motivated. But in the right motivation, the scriptures are telling us here that we should be like that as believers when it comes to unity, that we should work hard, we should make the effort, we should endeavor to do it, it should be a part of our lives, and we should move fast to make sure we have unity together and to make sure that we are not just on the same page, but that our hearts are unified for the common good, for the common goal, and for the glory of Christ. So when you read that passage, it says, make every effort to keep it. So it's a responsibility. It's something that we have. It's something that God has given us to keep yourselves united. You know what I find interesting about this? Is that it uses the possessive. It doesn't say, make every effort to keep everybody else around you united. I have that problem too. I want everybody to be happy. I want everybody to be all good. Everybody good? If I ask you that question, just ignore me. I find myself asking that a, a lot to, to people, especially you walking in today, people, and, and on Sundays. Hey, you good? Everybody, people are like, yeah, good. Thumbs up. Fantastic. Doing well. You know, whatever. Or, or, you, or you respond however. Like, no, I'm not, not doing good. Not, not having a good week. That's kind of my phrase. Because I, it, it's something that I'm genuinely asking because I want to know. I want to know you're okay. But then I also have this little tendency to want everybody to be okay and to take it on as a responsibility for everybody to be okay. But God says, for, for everybody to be okay and for everybody to live in unity, especially believers who God is in and through and expressing himself through, you got to take that yourself. So if you are a person who wants to control things or you want everybody to be okay, or you want everybody to be happy, and you want everybody to be unified, and everybody dancing, and puppies and kittens, and you know, and everybody's happy, and, and it's all this deal, then, then here's what's interesting about that, is, is first of all, you're gonna wear yourself out, you're gonna kill yourself, there's gonna be, uh, you're gonna get frustrated, you're gonna probably quit trying to do it, and at the end of the day, uh, when it comes to this idea of unity, God says that is a personal responsibility that we take on for each other. We don't tried to fix everyone else. He said, keep yourselves unified. So that's why it has to start in our own heart, in our own life. And if we'll start in our own heart and our own life, and everyone is doing that, then guess what? It kind of works itself out, and the community becomes more unified. If everyone is working hard, making every effort, and moving fast to be united. So what are we moving fast, working hard, making every effort to be united? How do we do that? Like, what are the basics of true unity among people? Well, Paul lays them out to us. In verse 2, he says, always, these are hard now. Right, this is an interesting list. I know it's, 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 it's just tough sometimes to read this list and go, ugh. Verse 2, he says, always be humble and gentle. Be patient. Be patient. This is like my biggest, oh, 
that's a toughie. Why did the Holy Spirit have to compel Paul to put that in? Can we just leave that out? I could have skipped it. Y'all would have been like, wait a minute. Wait. Making allowance for each other's faults. The, the Bible and other translations use the word forbearance. We are, we are bearing each other's burdens and we're bearing each other for who they are and we are living with patience uh, with that for each other. Why? How do we do that? Love. Only way it's done. Only way we forbear and are patient with each other and especially each other's faults, right? Because it's easy to love the lovable. It is, it is not so easy to love us and each other when we're not so lovable and aren't so patient and aren't so kind and aren't so gentle and aren't so humble. But the love of God that compels us in the same way allows us to, you know, make Make allowance for your faults and, and hopefully and prayerfully in a spirit of unity that God gives us, you make allowance for mine. So as we read this list and then he ends with binding yourselves together with what? Peace. So we are making, let's go back. So we're making every effort. We're working hard. It is the pursuit of our life. We are endeavoring. Uh, we're, we're straining. It, it's, it's something that we're, we're about. We're doing it. And we're doing it fast. What are we doing? Humble, gentle, patient, making allowance for each other's faults, loving, and peace. That's how we achieve unity. We have to work at it. It's a commitment. So it's a commitment to, to keep ourselves united. It is a commitment to keep ourselves with the view of unity there in front of us as opposed to uniformity or just acquiescing to something because we've been told we should. I don't think anything ever works. And guys, this is true in the church and I think in society and any walk of life. Nothing ever really works. It never really sticks and it never really lasts if you do it because someone told you you should. And, and if, you, yes, we all need encouragement. We all need to be reminded. We all need to be told. But if I'm, forcing you to do something or I am compelling you to do it and you only do it because you're acquiescing to what I'm saying, it's not gonna last. It's called unwillful acquiescence. Big word meaning you're just doing it because I said it, but you don't really believe it. There was this phrase, this saying that my dad used to use when, when uh, Brian and I were kids. We, we got, probably got sick of it, but there's truth in it. And it goes something like this. You convince a man or a woman against their will, they are of the same opinion still. Same is true with this. If I am convincing you against your will and it is not an internal thing that God has done in your life, my life, and it is not something that we with his help want to work on, make every effort to endeavor to do and to do it really quickly, to not let it take hold and lead to other things, and I'm convincing you or anyone else or you're convincing me that I should be unified and that we should do this and it's not your heart, you're gonna be of the same opinion. And at the end of the day, we might be uniformed. We might have uniformity. We might all like Clemson. I know, it's okay. We're, I know, we are in church. We'll pray at the end. And so like, we might all like something. We may all like being here. We may all like each other. 
We might all like what's going on or what's happening. But at the end of the day, the uniformity will not last. Because you'll be of the same opinion. And the stuff that we all bring to this, and the experiences that we all bring to this, and the stuff that happens on a regular basis that we don't like, and we think we should be doing, that will cause us to break uniform. That will cause us to be of the same opinion still. But see, if I've achieved unity, if God has in my life truly, truly, let's read the list again, it's a toughie, if God has truly helped me to be humble, and that word humble there means to bow, to go low. That's so difficult. It's difficult for leaders, difficult for people who lead in their life to come in low, difficult. Difficult to come into the church, difficult to come in community and come low and be humble and think of others before I think of myself. You know, I have a great friend who wrote a uh, help write a book called I Am Second. And, and I, man, I love that, that book. I love my friend and I love those videos. They're powerful, uh, powerful testimonies of, of God's redemption. However, I don't believe uh, in, the, in the veracity of the whole premise because it's really not I Am Second, it's I Am Third, according to the scriptures. <laughs> I'm not making fun of it. If you're wearing a bracelet, don't take it off. I own the book. My friend Dave wrote the book. I, I, it's, I get it, you know. It make, you know, it's a great thing. But really from a scriptural perspective and to live in unity in a group of people, even if it's just you and one other person, even if it's just yourself, do you argue with yourself? Am I the only psychotic in here? Really, it's third. It's the Lord and the Lordship of Christ in my life. That's why he says there's only one Lord. So we all bow to the same Lord, to the same Lordship of Christ. So not only do we call him Lord, he controls our lives. He helps us live. And it's others. And then it's me. That's what Jesus, that's the great commandment. So, man, to, to have unity, I'm third. So to make every effort to be third is it, tough. But that's how God compels us to have unity in a body of believers with a lot of opinions, a lot of ideas, a lot of things that we are going to agree to disagree on, a lot of things that we might not you know, necessarily want to do or think we should do. But if we're humble, Lord, others, myself, and that vein is pressed by the Holy Spirit in my life, then, man, I can be unified amid all that stuff. You don't have to agree with me for me to love you and for us to be on mission together and for us to do something together and to achieve God's purpose. It's okay. We can have unity in that if we're unified on the right thing. And then he says the effort to be gentle. Oh, meekness. Meekness is not weakness. This is difficult for men. You think that, that if you're being meek or gentle, then you're weak. That is absolutely false. It is my belief that gentleness is power under control. Some of the most powerful men that I know, meaning not powerful in status in the world, but powerful in the way they live their lives, impactful in the way they live for Christ, are some of the most gentle men that I know. But they are the most principled people you will ever meet and the most bold and oftentimes the greatest purveyors of truth and speakers of truth. I have several meek men in my life that are older than me that, boy, they're really gentle and I admire them for that, but, boy, they can really tell you when you're, when you're out of line. 
Meekness is power under control. So we come in together and God has given us his power within ourselves to use for his glory, not to abuse people and not to do what we want and not to exert authority. And when I don't get it, I pout and I'm upset. He calls us into a body, into a community, into our world to be meek and to have power under control so that when God gives us the appropriate time and the right time and the opportune time to help somebody, to love somebody, to do something for the kingdom, we release that power in the right way and it's impactful. But to have unity, you gotta be gentle. And then the patient thing, can I skip that? Yeah, I'm going to. So Megan allows for each other, no, no, no. You know what? Relationships take time, don't they? They're crock pots, not microwaves. And you got to let that thing simmer, right? So true. It, it takes time, it takes work, it takes effort, it takes patience. Patient with yourself, patient with your, the other person, whether it's a friend or a spouse or your children. Hi. Patience, because it takes time. It's messy. It, it's, it's supposed to be a marathon. It's not supposed to be a sprint. You know, I'm watching the Olympics. Trials yesterday. I love the Olympics. You, you excited about the Olympics? I am. I, I love the competitions and the different, different things that they do. And the athletes are unreal. I mean, those girls, watching gym, women's gymnastics is unreal. I don't know how they do that. Like, it makes me want to go take a couple of ibuprofen and go to bed. It's just ridiculous. But I'm watching track yesterday, and it's like you're watching the 5,000 meters, and you're watching the 100-meter sprint. And one is as swift and powerful, and the other one is long and powerful. And I was sitting there watching that yesterday, just thinking this afternoon, man, that's a relationship. The 5,000 meters is a relationship, a one that matters, one that should be united, one that, that changes things, one that has hope and, and, and an impact. That's a 5,000-meter and so there's a different pace. There's a different approach. There's a different way in which we train. There's a different way in which we make effort. And we need patience to do that. I mean, I, I, I'm kind of impatient watching the 5,000 meters. I'm like, go to a commercial. And so by the time they come back, they'll be done. And I'll finish my Cheetos. And, you know, <laughs> it'll be all over. And then we can just celebrate with the guy who won, who, who looks like he could blow away in a stiff wind. And so... <laughs> I mean, really. I mean, were you watching this? They, they cut the commercial, and the guy that was leading was like seventh by the time they got back. Another guy wins, and, you know, he looks like he, had, he walked in the park for like 30 minutes. He's like, they're talking to him. He's like, yeah, this was fantastic. I'm glad I was out here today. feel great, wonderful. Give me some water. I mean, it's unbelievable. You, you just ran 5,000 meters. That's what relationships are, relationships that, that matter. And you know what? The body of Christ, greatest relationship in the world, greatest bond we have. So it takes patience. And with patience comes that making allowance for each other's faults. You're not perfect. I'm not perfect. So stop acting like you are and stop acting like others should be and we'll, we'll all be unified. Forbearing with others' faults. We got a lot of them. All of us. There's a whiteboard in the back back there. We could fill that thing up, couldn't we? Of all of our faults. We go into the afternoon, bore each other to death, get a couple buckets of chicken in here and just go crazy with all the faults that we have and the ways in which we fail God and we fail each other. But that's not how people who are unified, who, who live, have Christ in them, are supposed to act with each other. We're supposed to forbear and make allowance. And how do we do that? Love of God. 
The Bible says that it's perfect. It casts out fear. Um, it risks. It does not make records of wrong. How many, how many of you had that read at your wedding? 1 Corinthians 13, right? Love is what? Love is patient. Love is kind. Okay. That's how we do this. And then he gets down to the end. He says, you're binding yourselves together in peace. Peace is an interesting thing. Man, we all want that, don't we? We certainly want it after living this, through this week. Certainly want it after living through the last several months. Man, certainly want it living through the last two decades. But, uh, but peace comes at a cost. We have to be willing to have peace and do what it takes to make every effort to be united so that we can achieve peace. And peace is not peacemaking all the time. It's peacekeeping, or it's not peacekeeping all the time. It's peacemaking. The Bible is, makes a distinction about the difference between peacekeeping and peacemaking. Sometimes peacemaking requires truth. And peacemaking requires hard things. And re- peacemaking sometimes requires boldness. And it sometimes requires us to change. So when he says you, you're going to bind yourself together after this whole list of things we should be doing with peace, then that means we're willing to do whatever it takes from a peaceful perspective that's given to us by God to stay unified. And sometimes that's peacekeeping. Last week, uh, better to be in right relationship than to be right. And sometimes it's peacemaking, and that is sometimes speaking truth that I need to hear, someone else needs to hear, and that will bring peace. Truth brings peace. Don't you sleep better when you're honest? Don't you sleep better and live better when you're not running from something that isn't there? Truth and honesty brings peace, and sometimes the peacemaker is very truthful. And the peacemaker errs leads to a unified body. Why? I mean, what are we unified around? Because guys, at the end of the day, unity doesn't always assume truth. Right? It is important to be united around the right things. There is a lot of things in history that a lot of people have been unified around. <laughs> um, some of it kind of funny. Some of it not. I mean, they were pretty unified in Nuremberg in the 40s. There has been a lot of unity around some pretty disgusting things that have taken place in our world. There has been a lot of unity, quote unquote. Maybe it wasn't unity. Maybe it wasn't unity at all. Maybe it was just uniformity. There's been a lot of, and is a lot of unity around some pretty damaging, abusive things. And so just because you're unified doesn't always assume that, that what you're unified around is right. So unity doesn't translate always as truth. So it's important to be united around the right things. This is what the passage tells us we should be united around. One body, all coming together under the banner of Christ, all people, believers set apart to live for Jesus, saved, redeemed by him. One spirit, that spirit that indwells the redeemed believer. Just as you've been called to one glorious hope, this is our this is our desire. This is our dream. This is the, the hope for the future. This is the reality of eternity. This is the reality of living in the presence of God. This is our hope. This is what we desire. 
uh, sat in a, a coffee shop in Five Point Southern Night and talked to this individual with a, with a friend of mine, and we were talking to him, and, 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 and he, was, he, was, he's, he said he was a Baha'i of the Baha'i religion, and he was, man, he had a, a very interesting worldview. And I kept reiterating that the reason why I'm a believer in Jesus is because he rose from the dead and because that gives him the veracity of truth and understanding and it brings him the credibility when he said he was God. And it also gives him the credibility when he said, I'm coming back for you. Because a dead savior is no savior at all. But Jesus, this is your hope. I give you a hope because I'm going to prepare a place for you and I'm, I'm going to come back for you. So this is our hope together. We, we, we're unified around the hope. That should bring us a joy. And then there's one Lord. There's one faith in this Lord. That's why it's important that we know what we believe and why we believe it and who this Lord is, who this Christ is in our lives. It's important to know who he is. It's, it's not just important to know what he taught, but it's important to know how he taught it And it's also important to know why he taught it. And it's also important to know what that means for my life and how that informs me to live. So my faith has to be strong in knowing who that is. I think it's why we're anemic. That's why the church doesn't know what to do often. That's why we don't make an impact anymore is because we we don't read the Bible. And we don't have a strengthened faith to know what God is telling us, who Christ is, and how he wants us to live in the world. And so we've, we've become very weak in that. But that's what should unite us, this, this faith that we have in this Lord, the, the one baptism. This is not getting in, Paul's not getting into semantics here about the ways in which we approach certain sacraments. What he's, this, he's talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, about at the point of conversion, that you are baptized in the Holy Spirit, that you have been given the Holy Spirit to indwell in you and to live for Christ through you. So we, we all have this Holy Spirit. He all indwelled us when we came to know Jesus. He, he gives us the ability to discern right and wrong. He gives us the ability to know God's will and to know what he wants us to do. And we should be unified on that. And then there's one God. I mean, I mean, Right? I mean, we're not polytheists. We're, we don't believe there's multiple gods. We don't believe multiple ways to heaven. We believe that Jesus was the way because he was raised from the dead. And he was God. So this, with these approaches, the humility, the peace, the love, the patience, the forbearing of each other's faults, this is how we make every effort We have to make every effort in those things to stay united despite all we disagree on. And we're united around a central truth and that is the truth of who God is and what he's called us to because unity doesn't always equal truth. That's why Paul didn't discuss unity in the first three chapters. He waited until he laid the proper foundation of who God is, who Christ is, who the Holy Spirit is, so then he can say, that's what you rally around. That's your central hope. That's your life. And so that's what he's calling us to do. So it's important for us to know who this God is. Know who our Lord is. Know who Jesus is. Know what the gospel is.
That's why we taught it when we first started. Some of you were like, man, I get that. I know that. Well, there's reasons why we're laying that foundation because that's the way in which we know how to live and how to act and how God would want us as the church, as the people of God, to behave and live in the world in a messed up, broken, sad, divided, violent world. It's Christ. So lay, lay the foundation in our life. As he lays the foundation, then, man, we know what we can be unified around, and it's the right thing. We're going to mess up. We're going to need that one God and that one Lord and Savior that we rally around to extend to us his grace as he does all the time. But we're going to do this together. We're going to ask God to make us unified, not uniformed. Because guess what? If we achieve uniformity, fantastic. We won't be here in five years. But if God works in us through his power and makes us unified, we just might do something. Lord Jesus.